Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. another episode of Believe in Kentucky. My name is Vinny Hardy. We got the former UK quarterback Jalen Whitlow in here. I got Aaron Gershon for the Cats Pause. Not able to be here this evening. He can be back with us next week. But we have a guest, uh, part of the Shield, part of the offensive line there in Stoops' early days. Number 64 himself, Max Gobby, is here this evening. Got you in the Aaron Gershon slot, but everybody knows you, you're Max Gobby. Uh, we just we just putting the white guy in the spot, in Aaron's spot. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, That's great. I'm just playing. Max, man, how you doing? Good. Hey, so quick question for Jalen. What's right, going on? Bro? I want, I want to, I want to make sure because I remember the play. It was 2012. It was the 11th game of the 2012 season, wasn't it? From that call. 13, 2013. That was Alabama State, 2013. Really? Okay. Yeah, what yeah. what play was it then in 2012? It was Alabama State, wasn't it? Yeah. It was Alabama State. Yes, I remember. I remember now. I got my eye yeah. gouged that game. Say it again. I got my eye gouged that game. Yeah, but, I probably I, I probably know the guy who did it. It, it was the it, was he the dude that was like 365? Yeah. Uh yeah, he, he's from <laughs> Bro. He's right. He's from my hometown, man. Um you know, he, 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 yeah, I, I know, I know you're gonna, exactly. You're going to keep about. that secret for ten years and not tell me. I could have found the guy that caused me to have to wear moonlight glasses now. Yeah, I, I, work. I never knew about it, man. I never knew about <laughs> How'd it. How'd you not know about it? I, I was wearing sunglasses throughout the throughout the facility for a week and a half. I, I don't remember, man. Look, I don't know if this. <laughs> I don't know if you can you can call it concussions. You can call it whatever you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's, it's people. People will comment or send me a DM of a picture that I've taken when I was at Kentucky, and I, I was like, "Man, I do not remember this person. I don't remember this day. <laughs> I, I, it was a that whole thing was a blur. I remember like the big stuff, but um, you know, some of that stuff, man, was a was a blur at times. Dude, you, you, I mean, you're not lying. Like, I, I legit saw someone that I hadn't seen in probably 13 years on UK's campus and he came up to me he knew exactly who I was apparently we had done like a lot like hung out a lot in in college through uh, Christian Student Fellowship yeah and I'm looking I'm like bro like I'll remember you like I legit don't remember it's like it's not like uh, a holier than thou kind of thing like dude yeah. my brain there, there's some spots that are just blacked out <laughs> just blacked and, and out I know, but he kicks in sometimes, and you're just like, dude, I, I don't remember. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I feel so bad sometimes, man. Like even when, even you said the the eye gouge thing, like the fact that I don't remember that, like it's just, I don't know. It's just sometimes, man. This stuff is a blur. Like it goes dude, so fast and it's so much. But 
Dude, you know. let's just be honest. I looked like the Michelin tire guy with the amount of extra protective equipment I had to put on to just get through the last season. So it's like, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, we, we, I'm sure we all had some, at that point, we all got, you know, now also linemen, obviously y'all got the knee braces and shoulder braces and all of that if you got to wear it. But yeah, man, it, it's, it's part, part of that life, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So, man, we glad to have you, Max. Looking for more stories, and we got plenty to talk about tonight. Coming to y'all live, live streaming on um, Courtesy Believe uh, Podcast Network, of course. Uh, we're live on our Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook streams. So, if y'all got comments, jump in here. Glad to have them. Um, like I was telling you before we started recording, Max, uh, periodically we have listeners, you know, suggest restaurants for Jalen because he hasn't been back to Lexington since you left Kentucky. So food scene has changed. And, you know, when you do come back for the spring game or for a game or watch practice or whatever, you know, get you some good places to eat. So I have to get that from you, Max. Uh, and, I, and I was there. I was there in uh, – actually, I, I left in, in spring of 14. I visited and – winter or spring of 15 visited again in like 17 um and that was that was the last time so so it's been what seven years 17 to now it's it's unrecognizable yeah that's what that's what that's what i keep hearing man and like you said i i next time i go i'm gonna make it a point to i you know and we talked about this on here Vinny. i didn't you know malone's and i mean like all these places to be honest with you y'all want to know the truth I probably went to Malone's once uh, hmm. in my in my time in Lexington. I was such a, I'm just such a, you know, I'm just real simple when it comes, you know, come to stuff. I've just now gotten adventurous when it comes to uh, trying food and going different places and restaurants. So, uh, you know, but yeah, definitely, definitely shoot me some some recommendations. I already got a few from a few uh, Kentucky people. Yeah, gotta appreciate the the old Kentucky faithful man sending you some restaurants. So, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, so yo, at Jay Willow underscore two, y'all put the comments in here because we're live or however you want to do it. Got one comment from a longtime listener to both our podcasts, Michelle, just saying, hey, so we appreciate that. Michelle has got a little neat issue going on, loves to play golf. So she's not able to play right now, but trying to get back on the men. Appreciate you tuning in to check us out. Got uh, Max telling O-line stories, Jalen's QB stories. We got a lot of football to get to. I guess we got to hit the – the, the main story first, fellas. I mean, it, it, hey, it took over college football when Nick Saban decided to call it a career, man. I get y'all's thoughts on that. I'll let you go first, uh, Max. Dude, it, it's it. I, I, I heard the story. My, my wife and I were heading out to dinner, and we um, heard the story break on uh, ESPN Louisville. And I was in, in shock. Because all of a sudden you get like a thousand things thinking through your head of why is, why is he quitting? Like, is is it because of NIL? Is it because of recruiting? Is it just because he's 72 years old? Who's going to replace him? Is Alabama ever going to be Alabama ever again? What's this going to look like with the 12-team play- playoff? And my mind is just racing over this because I mean this is a this has major ramifications for the sport it's a huge milestone in the sport almost like a a passing of the guard um 
I mean, he, Saban's been a part of college football since, gosh, the uh, since like the late nineties. Had at least twenty eight years of experience at the college level. So it, I'm. It's not like the dude's hurting for money. I think finally you just get to a point a a gay guy like that with the team that he had this year, which I would argue is probably his worst team that he has ever had since 2006. The first team that he had that went six and six. It's probably his worst team since. And it was surely his will to win, his coaching ability, and his staff's ability to will that team into the playoff against Michigan and almost and almost beat Michigan. Um, and I think after you do that, you see where the landscape of college football is about ready to change. It may just be like, to me, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Go ahead, Jay. Yeah. Look, it, you know, you're talking about a guy from Alabama. I remember the day that he got there. I remember – I do remember that because – and it's, my, I remember my dad was like, uh, yeah, they're about to win some national championships. Because, he, you know, at the time I was – 2007 – and it was January third, two thousand seven. I was in these. I was in the seventh grade. Um, so, you know, I just remember that day and people talking about it at school. People talking about it the next day at school. Our coaches at school talking about it. Um, you know, all the parents talking about it, and it was a big deal. And um, you know, I remember to this day. Remember my sister going off to college, and she went to the University of Alabama. And she actually worked in a recruiting office with uh, Saban and those people and those in that staff. So uh, my, my whole family is Alabama fans. Like two sisters who graduated from Bama. I got a brother there right now. Uh, you know, so, you know, cousins, Bama fans, you know, dad, big Bama fan and whatnot. So it, I kind of grew up around it. And to be honest with you, I, I was a little bit sour because Alabama was the home state and they didn't want me to play quarterback or receiver there. They actually – recruited me to play safety there. Um, so, you know, I was kind of like, man, you know, I was just like everybody else, like all the Auburn fans. They cheat. Nobody cares about Bama. <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, you know, they lie in recruiting. So I was just like everybody else. Didn't like them. Didn't like Nick Saban for whatever reason, for no reason, just being a kid, a naive kid. Until I got the chance to get into uh, college and go to Kentucky and I remember watching that week playing Bama. I remember watching the film. And I remember this like yesterday. We got our iPads. We're watching the film. And I remember saying, man, like, what are they doing that we're not doing? Like, like it, it just looks different. It pops out on, on the screen. And obviously, we know how to – I unfortunately got injured that game. We know how that game went. Fast forward to 2017. Uh, spring of 2017, the year, the, the semester that I graduated college, I decided to get into high school culture. And I remember now starting to appreciate Nick Saban for what he's doing. Uh, I went from not liking him, you didn't recruit me, and you beat me when I was in college, to now I start to appreciate it because I'm a coach now. And I appreciate you have to respect excellence. Year in and year out, you know what you get from Nick Saban's team. Very little discipline issues and a lot of success. That's that spells good coaching. That spells good leadership. So, um, you know, I start to appreciate that. And now, you know, fast forward to now and he's retiring. And I know multiple people who I've grown up with 
who played for him. Uh, I know people who coached under him. I know people who's co who coached under him until today. Uh, and people that I know personally. And I just think it's, it's fascinating, man, how, uh, how fast time flies and, and kind of the impact that he's made. And he don't even know that he's made on people that he don't remember, you know, or he don't know at all. So uh, that's just the, the power of athletics. I think that's the power of great coaching. I think that's the power of great leadership. Um, and I'm, I'm actually going to miss watching football with my family on Saturdays and watching a Nick Saban coach team. Uh, I'm not going to miss that because it's never going to be the same. And there's nowhere to go but down, unfortunately, for that program. And I'm not saying they're going to tank. I'm just saying that instead of making it to the national championship game, you know, three out of the past six years, they may make it one out of six or one out of seven. Or if that, uh, they may make the SEC championship, you know, one out of six years now. You know, and that's still pretty good, but he's set the bar so high that you just can't attain it. We would be shocked to see somebody come in there and do half of what he did. Uh, I think if they do, then that's very, very impressive. So, you know, shout out to uh, to Nick Saban, man. And, and you know, like I said, I, I spent I spent many of hours watching his mm -hmm. clinics and DVDs or whatnot, uh, trying to figure out you know defense and learn more defense. I remember watching all of his uh, Saturday night. Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday interviews um, that he's done. And I've been doing this for like six or seven years, guys, watching interviews every week, uh, just trying to pick up as much as I can from him too. Because I, I help lead young men now. Uh, I coach young men now. I train young men. And who's better to learn from than him uh, when it comes to that? So, uh, you know, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate, you know, the, the knowledge. I appreciate, you know, just the stuff that I've learned from afar. And, uh, and I'm sure he'll be, he'll greatly be missed uh, in the world of sports. Yeah, it was <clears throat> to the point where, I mean, you knew it. At some point it's going to come. Like, for all the reasons you said, Max, not hurting for money. You've done it so long. Maybe you just just don't want to grind like you had to grind. You're 72 years old. All of those things. But it's still a shock when it actually happened. Boom, Nick Saban retires. Wow. So just to yeah. – and what's 17 years at Alabama, 07? Throw out the first year when you're getting established, when you go 6-6 six and six or whatever and lose to Northeast Louisiana, whoever it was, six titles in 16 years? Every two point some odd years win the title. That is ridiculous. At the, in the SEC at this level, it's it's insane. And y'all mentioned you mentioned it, Max. <laughs> or what do y'all? This this is his worst team ever. And all they do is go eleven and two and won the SEC and made it to the final four of college football and had the eventual champs on the ropes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I and. I think I think of this as well. Um, Jalen was talking about when we played against them, and when he says that the film on Bama looked different, the one thing that I could best describe watching film on Alabama was when you watch team film on anyone else, you're looking at individuals. You're looking at individuals. You're trying to find 
a competitive advantage, something that get, there's a give that they have that gives away what they're going to do, whether it's crashing mm-hmm. to the inside, uh, setting up for a stunt or a, uh, a twist on the defensive line, a linebacker showing that he's going to uh, try to uh, jackknife the backside of the play or something. With an Alabama team, it, you're watching an Alabama defense. You're not really watching individuals. Like the team, the defense becomes one. It's not a group of individuals. They move so organically with each other. They move so organically as their own offensive line. They move organically. It's it's almost like you're de- you're dealing with like a um, like a mass group that just all identify as Bama. It's like uh, freaking Venom in the Venom movie. It's just like we are Venom. <laughs> We are Bama. I mean, that's just how they that's how they coordinate, how how they move. Um, and forget the all Americans that they had. Um, you had um, oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, he was a um, linebacker for them. Uh, that 2013 year Jalen, his name's Oh, you talking high- about Huh? You talking about um McLean? No, no. Uh, no. thirty two. I think he was 32. Yeah. Um, talk, oh man, his name. Not uh, Dante Hightower. It wasn't. Dante. Yeah, not Hightower. Let me let me see. Um, AJ Mosley. AJ Mosley. Mm. Um, that guy. When I I remember we were running a power play, uh, running a power play, and he got caught in traffic. I was I was the pulling guard, so I skipped pull, go in the gap, and he got caught in traffic, and completely lost where I was. And, and when he finally got out, I had just a perfect clean shot on him. Got him. I mean, it, uh, the best hit, probably highlight of my career. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how good of a hit it was. And then Neil Brown calls a duo, which means we're going to run that same play again. I don't know what I did. I don't know if there was some sort of gift or whatever it was, but Mosley – all of a sudden saw me, he looked at something, and he starts screaming, pulling guard, pulling guard. And I'm like, and dude, I, I don't, I usually don't give, I don't give a tell that what I'm about ready to do. And this dude knew exactly what I was about ready to do. And he jackknifed the play. He just added on blitz and hit Ray Ray in the backfield and made me look like a fool. I went from cloud nine to dirt four <laughs> real quick. It's just a stint of two drives by him. But that's how, they are so adaptive. And that was because of Nick Saban. That that was his mantra. It, it was living in that film room. It wasn't just relying on just your sheer talent. It's knowing the game front, uh, front uh, right to left, front to back, dead center, and everything in between. Unbelievable. So just every little micro detail nothing got skipped nothing got brushed to the side i mean everything was dissected and you wasn't gonna get him again i mean it's just (laughs) (laughs) not for the rest of that game man not for the rest of that game yeah you don't i mean you you don't win that many national championships for nothing man i (laughs) look i i you know I just, you know, I, I'm gonna. I, I can't say n- enough about it, man. I'm gonna miss watching his teams and watching them 
do press conferences and whatnot because I, you know, you just learn so much. But I mean, I don't, I don't know why people keep saying one of the best college coaches ever, man. I mean, who, who's the other one? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Who, who, who else are we talking about? I mean, this dude is 72 years old. He's still getting on planes, going out recruiting, you know, dealing with NIL, dealing with the new student athlete now, which is different than even what we were. Uh, you know, so he was still doing it up until yesterday. So, you know, this, I mean, he's different. He's built different. I don't know. Uh, you know, something's different about it, man. I don't, I don't know, but like, again, you know, sh- shout out to him, man. And, uh, you know, it, it's college football has, has, has made a, uh, incredible turn when you think about the amount of coaches that have, you know, got out of the game in the past couple of years, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Stoops, Nick Saban. Uh, you know, he's not out by his right, but Jimbo Fisher, uh, yeah. who's not in the game right now, you know, you got a lot. Yeah, you got a lot. Yeah, you got a lot of coaches right now who are uh, we grew up watching and we grew up, you know, seeing on TV that are done, you know, that are retired, you know, out of the game. And I just think it's it's, it's crazy how fast time flies. But, you know, it's part of it, man. But like you said, he if I had to guess, man, Nick Saban is probably – close to a billionaire by now um, with his investments and car dealerships and all of that stuff, man, let alone he spent years and, you know, decades making a whole lot of money every year. So uh, he, he's, he's per- perfectly fine uh, from that standpoint. So I'm sure he'll, you know, rest him knees for a little bit and get and go enjoy the rest of his life. <laughs> That's right. He's, uh, he's going to be chilling that lake house that he's got. That's no doubt. what he's going to be doing. Mm-hmm, for sure. Eating little Debbies, and you know, he might drop a crumb <laughs> on the floor and not pick it up. You know, who knows? <laughs> uh, got a couple more comments. Michelle, another comment. Jalen, since we started this show, you have just sold a book. So tell everybody about the book that Michelle is going to buy because we know you've written some books. So we'll go ahead and let you get that in, man. Yeah, I, Michelle, I greatly appreciate that. Um, I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I am sure which one you bought because I only have one of them. I have two, but I only put one of them on Amazon. That's the first book prepared. Uh, it's just a book, you know, for student athletes or, you know, whether it's high school or definitely high school student athletes that aspire to be collegiate student athletes and just how to go about your business. You know, to be honest with you, I put a lot of stuff in there that I didn't do well. Uh, you know, some things in there that I wish if I could go back that I would do. And for transparency, there's a lot of things that I didn't do well. Uh, just the, you know, the overall, you know, social aspect i would say making good connections you know uh making sure you get yourself around the right people when it comes to um what you want to do after sports uh you know i had no idea really what i wanted to do but that type of thing leadership stuff which obviously i could have been a better leader you know and and hanging out with your teammates being the person that's you know calling meetings and you know to go to top golf or wherever people go hang out go watch a movie, go to a game, whatever it may be, uh, to to just kind of fortify your experience, you know, at, at the collegiate level. And, you know, it's never too early for high school athletes to start to get this information uh, because I think it's really important. And it, it'll just help you be better than what I was at the end of the day. Um, you know, I did a lot of things good, but did a lot of things that if I could go back and change, I would uh, to make it even better. But you know, you live and you learn. So now I'm able to give that, you know, knowledge and information and wisdom to 
a younger generation that can hopefully go and, and uh, not make the same mistake. As coaches, we always say, you see somebody in front of you do something and they do it well, then do that. You see somebody in front of you who, who do it wrong, if you make the same mistake, then what does that make you? Uh, don't make the same mistake as the person in front of you. So put a lot of information in there uh, and want those people who, you know, get that book to make sure they, uh, you know, kind of fortify their experience and, and have a great experience and enjoy it. Uh, so that's what that's about. Did you have issues with, with Jalen's leadership, Max? I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, I was uh, – Especially when I got to Eastern, I was a lot more vocal, but I was just so I was so quiet, man. I always been quiet, but I, I had to learn how to lead vocally. I was always the guy that was going to do the right thing as far as being in the weight room at the right time, being early, being in the meetings early, doing that type of stuff. But, you know, I was you know, you want your quarterback to be a little bit more vocal. And that's one thing that I, I didn't uh, do necessarily well in my the early stages of my college career, I got better at it as I got older. Uh, and especially my, you know, junior and senior year, I was a lot better at it, but you know, it, it's just one of those things, man, that, uh, you know, and we talked about on here, Vinny, uh, the leadership thing. We always talk about it, how, you know, it is it, when you're not vocal is even worse when you're not winning, when you're not <laughs> vocal and you're winning, it's not as bad. So, you know, it, that's just, it's just learning, man. It's just, you know, making, making people aware, of it, you know, and having good coaches to make sure that student athletes are understanding and having a good self-awareness of where they are and teaching them how to be self-aware. Cause you know, maybe if I would have been more self-aware at that age, I would have been a better leader. Maybe that would have turned into more success on the field. I don't know, but it would have helped, you know, make that progression a lot faster. So that's some of the stuff in the book. And, um, you know, it'll be beneficial to whoever whoever grabbed that. I, I, I want to say I want to say this as well. When it comes to Jalen's experience, one joking, and then two very serious. The serious aspect is, I mean, Jalen in 2012 was put in a very difficult spot. I mean, you had Morgan Newton in one. You had a senior leader. You had Maxwell Smith, who was pro, the kind of the preeminent starter, but was injury prone. And then you're you're splitting time with another true freshman. Um, that's extremely. That's a lot to put on a freshman first on campus. And then on 2000 in 2013, he had the exact same thing, where it was it, it was him and Maxwell Smith splitting time with each other. It's really hard to run an offense when you have two quarterbacks. Now, granted, love Jalen. Love Maxwell, but it's still very hard to have that consistency in the huddle. But yet, Jalen, Jalen, and Maxwell, and Patty, all three of them handled it with so much grace and so much camaraderie. When there could have been a lot, it 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 was perfect. It was a perfect situation. It was a perfect storm to have animosity. Mm-hmm. And Jalen, Maxwell, and Patty may I don't know, but they never showed. It. Because the offensive line knew that whoever was a quarterback had their best interest in mind. So I do want to speak on that. And then, two, I want to be very appreciative to Jalen because out of all the uh, quarterbacks were, you know, pardon my French, but, you know, stuck their hands up my butt to get snap a ball. 
Jalen was the Jalen was the most comfortable. He was the one that was more consenting to me than Maxwell and uh, Patty. Like Jalen was just very professional when he would go take an under center snap. And he, he'd give me nice tap on the back, nice tap on the back. Let me know that that he was right there, and then you know we just we we would handle our business. Maxwell Mac, Maxwell treated me borderline like a horse. Like he would come up and he hit kind of like the side of my leg, kind of just not stroke it, but kind of just touch it. Say, hey, I'm right here, bud. Hey, sh- sh- you're fine. I'll give you a sugar cube. <laughs> and Patty Ice and I about had a fight the first day he was that he was taking snaps because he came That's up hilarious. and he let me square on the rear end so hard. I turned around, I turned around quick on him. I don't do that. I don't do that. So. Jalen was very professional, very cordial, more touch on the lower back saying, hey, I'm right here. It's a, it's a process that, wow, yeah. Gotta you got to get that iron down. About that, but, I mean, yeah. seriously, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a vulnerable spot to be under uh, to be under center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, yeah. It, it, it's funny how you always hear, like, the stories with Peyton Manning and whatnot, or, you know, uh, he, he, what's, his, what's his center name that he had? Jeff uh, Saturday. Jeff, yeah. Jeff Saturday. You always <laughs> – you always hear like the stories and whatnot. It is it is a, a, a unique uh relationship, especially if you're a quarterback that gets under center. Uh yeah. you know, between a quarterback and center. Because, you know, in any other genre of life, that'll be a <laughs> that'll be an odd position to be in. For football, football, you, you know, you're so focused on like, man, it is such you, you're relying on ten other guys and ten other guys are relying on you. And you got to get the job done for 10 other guys. And so you don't really think about nothing to that effect. You just think about how can I get my job done so I can help the team. So, you know, I just think it's it's a unique uh, it's a unique relationship. And also, you know, just when you really think about it, football is the closest thing you'll ever get to, like, being in the military. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in the military, if you're at war, like, if this person in front of you does one thing – not according to plan, you know, it could be tragic. And it's kind of it's kind of the same thing with a center and the O-line and a quarterback because if if I make the wrong protection call or slide a protection the wrong way or call the wrong run, run play to the wrong side, it could be tragic for my running back. If I make the wrong call, it could be tragic for myself. And if the offensive line doesn't do their job, it could be tragic for me uh, because, you know, how it's just a – just the dynamic between those guys is just it's just a lot uh that goes into it. and it's a and it's a, a lot of fun when you look back and think about it and you know all the stories and whatnot but i try to relate to our our young guys now that man make sure y'all uh y'all hang out on the weekends we just did uh exit meetings with with our quarterbacks at the high school and i'm like man you better get your guys together and uh on the weekends go hang out go to a movie go do something invite them over the house you want those guys to uh to, to, to make sure they own, you know, they, they ready to go for you. Cause at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people's health are at risk if, if, if nobody's ready to go. So I just think it's a unique relationship, man. Mm-hmm. Got another comment. This one from Max saying, got to get Tyler Mitchell saying, got to get Strebel on here with you next time. So, <laughs> so I I'm on, I'm on Strebel show on Mondays and Fridays on ESPN Louisville. And you want to talk about you, because Benny, you know Strebel, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that dude is on a next level. It's it's different at podcast level when he was doing round of shots. It's next level when he's on air. 
Like I never thought that I would have to be the guy that's kind of like, hey, let's you know, let's 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 tamper things down a little bit. <laughs> but dude, Street Strebel's awesome. You you all need to have him on the show because the the dude is a riot, absolute riot. Yeah. So you're on the rotation with Anna Tarullo and I am, yeah. yeah. And, and Justin Jeffries when he ever feels like coming on. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a good setup there. Good stuff, man. We talked about this with uh, Jalen, you and Aaron before, and so I got to ask you, Max. You mentioned how Jalen just said football is the closest thing to the military. Jalen, you gave us your thoughts about those final moments right before the game starts. Uh, you said it's the variety of ways guys are getting themselves ready to play. You know, it's music, it's hype. You say some guys read the Bible, just like whatever doing whatever they got to do to get themselves where they need to be. So, Max, what was it for you? Were you screaming and yelling? Were you chill? Were you on 10? Were you different for each game? Were you the same? What was your routine in those moments just before it was time to, to head out the tunnel? I, I I found out early on that I wasn't good when I was just at, like, an emotional, like, high level. Like, I need to tamper myself. Like I needed to be really, I needed to be really jacked up, ready to go during warmups, but somehow calm myself back down before the game. So I would listen. You know, I, I had my, I, I love folk, I love folk music, love bluegrass music, but man, it was kill the puppies music and turning the volume up as high as I could before warmups when I'm getting my stuff on and all that. And I would go go out, do warm-ups. I'd come back in, and I'd go to two verses um, in Scripture and read those back-to-back uh, back to each other. And that kind of calmed me back down. And then I went through my notes that I had made during the week. So it was more of like getting that primal side of me ready. I'd come back in, calm it back down, and then go into the methodical side of like, okay, what do I need to do in, in this game? Because I knew, I knew for me, just in, in my, in my uh, experience and just how I know I am as a player, that nine times out of ten, the guy that was uh, in front of me is going to be a whole lot more talented than me. And so for me, it was I had to rely so much on the mental side of the game and the psychological side of the game to be able to give myself a competitive edge. Like we were talking about finding a tell, finding a giveaway about a player. I had to go and find that. And so for me, it was getting back in, looking at my notes I had made on each of the defensive linemen and say, look for this, look for that. And that way, whenever my number was called or if I was starting that game, I could just run out onto the field. And at that point, just felt like practice. So you got just the the extremes just for you to, to get yourself that high knowing you okay I gotta get myself back down. Exactly just the ooh, yeah, just a roller coaster. I don't, right there. I don't recommend it for life. I recommend it if you're about ready to go and hit someone. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's funny how uh, somebody ought to do a study on that. Somebody ought to study a, a college football team or a pro team. And the amount of guys in the locker room and kind of just walk around and just take notes and look at the amount of guys that don't need music, the amount of guys that are listening to the locker room music, 
the amount of guys that, that are listening to the music in their headphones, the amount of guys that are listening to the music in their headphones and listening to something that's really violent and upbeat. The, I know guys who are listening to slow R&B music. I know guys who listen to country music. I know guys who listen to heavy metal. I know guys who uh, who just walk around and pace with their eyes closed. Mm-hmm. I know guys who read books. I know guys who don't like to be in a locker room because the music is going, so they walk outside of the locker room and sit yeah. down, which I, I always thought that was cool. I never... I never was one of those guys saying, man, why is he in here with everybody else? Everybody got to get themselves ready to go in a different way. So it was just interesting. I know guys who sit down and read the Bible. I know guys who sit down and read the notes they took during the week, like Max said. I know guys who who sit there and read something that has nothing to do with football, nothing to do with anything. Like they'll read like fiction books, yeah. you know, or read something that's fiction. I know guys who just sit there and scroll through their phone. You know, I, I just think it, it is very, very unique. You know, is like what type like the psychological disposition of the student athlete uh, or of an athlete, period, is very unique before game time. And there's nothing more unique than a football team because you're actually going, you have to prepare yourself to go do something that 99.999% of human beings on the planet aren't willing to do. Uh, and that's running to somebody full speed. You know, so. It is very, it's very, somebody really ought to go in a locker room and do a study. Like, and okay, there's a hundred guys in here. What, what are these guys doing to get themselves ready to play? And there's always that you just warmed up. There's always that, which I don't agree with this as a coach. I, I don't believe in having teams do this. You come back in a locker room and sit down for 25, 30 minutes. Right. And that's when you get all the, the different characters that come out of the guys, you know? So, um, it's very unique, man. It is a unique thing. Now, Jalen, were you pro or con ammonia tablets? I, I was, I was con ammonia tablets until I got to Eastern. When I got to Eastern, we had guys passing yeah. around like it was a Gatorade bottle, and you know, I was, I was never one of those guys that had to get myself psyched up. I had to calm myself down, even though sometimes I was still listening to things that probably would psych you up. But I used to always have to try to like control my breathing, calm myself down, think about all the good things, um, you know, that I need to do to help my team win. But you know, we had some guys who were sitting in their locker and just lean back with ammonia tablet and just sniff it every five seconds. And I, I, like I said, everybody, it's it's a everybody's different. It's a very unique thing. You walk into a locker room twenty minutes before a team kicks off, you're gonna see a lot of stuff. You see some guys just screaming to them. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Every, like everybody's different, man. Everybody's different. It's, it's very, you know, interesting to look at. So you, you say after the twenty-five minutes warm-ups, you should say we should be ready to play, not go back to the locker room. Y'all both agree with that, or no? I, I just think that you should. And we kind of incorporated this into our, you know, we got a, a great head coach where I coach at now, and he listened to his assistants and he he let us implement things, and you know, he's very uh, receptive to a lot of things. So I. One of the first things we, we talked about going into the season was we have to not do what most teams do before the game. I just think it's not very intelligent. When everybody's warming up for an hour, first you get off the bus, guys throw on their shorts and T-shirt with the number on it, and they go out and you throw to receivers. Receivers running everywhere. You throw to them for 20 minutes. You go in, you, get, you start to get taped, get dressed or whatever. You come back out with the team or your position group and start to get loose. 
Then you got other guys. You got specialties, quarterbacks, receivers, O-line, D-line comes out. And now we're doing a team warm-up, a team stretch and whatnot. After the team stretch, you essentially run through a 40-minute or 45-minute minute practice almost. You go to individual. You go do group stuff. You do 707. You do team. You do special teams. You go back in the locker room and sit for 25 minutes. And then you come back out and got to warm up and play a game. I've, I've never understood it. But everybody does it. Nick Saban does it. And so what can we say? You know, so, you know, I, I, I've never understood that. I was always wanted to – I'm going to allow my quarterbacks to, if they don't want to throw as much, they don't have to throw 100 balls before a football game. You throw them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and probably a little bit on Friday, and then you throw them Saturday before the game 100 balls before the game. It just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, but maybe I'm, I mean, look, there's a lot of people who are winning championships who do this. So it's just maybe it's just me. But you know, you got old linemen out there literally going through a 45 minute practice. And they got to block some of the best athletes on the planet here in about 45 minutes. Uh, so you would think you would want all the energy that you can have. So I do believe in warming up and going through those drills, but really quickly. Right. And slide everything back to where you're going through those drills closer to game time. So you don't have to go in the locker room and sit for 30 minutes and then come back out and got to get yourself back loose. Why not warm up and set it up to where we warm up a little bit closer to game time? And maybe we go back to the locker room, but maybe it's for 10 minutes where guys can get on the phone, roll and do what they need to do. And they're still loose. They're still warm. We come back out and play rather than, you know, practice basically and sit for 30 minutes. And it just, it's just kind of, unless there's some science that I don't know behind it, it's just kind of counterintuitive when you really think about it. But you know, that's that's just my spiel on that. Mm. Max, too, got to ask you because you know, flipping to Kentucky for a minute with Eli Cox having to call out the coverages for Devin Leary, how much more of a burden or a weight is that? on his plate because we heard that you know he was the one kind of diagnosing so how how much how difficult is that for office now so what was confirmed was he calling the protections for Devin or was he actually calling out the coverage of the for of the defense what was what was confirmed said because I've heard two things now I think it's I think it was protections I think okay. he was just I think he was just directing the protection yeah, and I mean that's not abnormal, especially okay. if you've got a guy that's very you. You've got an, you've got a center that I mean knows the game like the back of his hand. That's not abnormal because as a quarterback, you can only see so much, and it's and it's not completely on. It's not completely on the center as well. I mean. He, he's the he's the brains of the operation, but he's also got four other guys that are able to keep their uh, keep their eyes out open. Um, offensive linemen uh, communicate very well with each other. Uh, let's just say, for example, that you're you're walking up to the line. Jalen tells us that it's a hawk protection, which uh, back in the day that was a six man uh, protection. Even that means the running back's going to be supporting the right side of the offensive line. So that's telling you the center guard and tackle are going to basically slide protect with each other, and the guard backside guard and tackle are going to work backside. Um, and then all of a sudden, while myself or Matt Smith are in the middle of our cadence, 
And all of a sudden we start looking around. All of a sudden the left tackle looks out and we're on the boundary side of the field. Corners all of a sudden squared up a little bit and he's he's topped off on the top side. That's an indicator that, that that's going to be a corner uh, corner hammer coming to the outside. That point we're alerting Jalen because Jalen, I don't think Jalen's seen it. And we're, we're, uh, we're uh, letting uh, John John know in the back. And all of a sudden we're, we're, we're doing this signal which means flip it just over your head, flip it, flip it, flip it. All of a sudden, uh, John, uh, Jonathan George goes over to the other side. Jalen knows for slide protections come to the other side. He, Jalen's going to be on the island uh, on the backside. And then we snap and we're good to go. It's not that it, it, that aspect's not a big, big deal, but you've also got to have a quarterback that understands what's going on up front. And that can, be properly communicated and those signals of the offensive line to be able to support you no doubt yeah that's yeah he, yeah I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if i even have to say anything after that man he broke it down but i, I just think you know the, one thing that it, it depends on the system too like you know i've been in systems to where quarterbacks we make the call i've been in systems to where the quarterback and the center can make the call however the quarterback has the override. He has the last call. He has the last say so uh, on where it goes. You know, I've been in systems to where we don't have to make calls because the call is built in. So, for instance, how we kind of run our offense here is, you know, we let our quarterback, if, you know, make the call up front based on the play. And if he need to change it, he can change. But we always usually uh, set it up set the play up where he can slide the protection away from his eyes. So if he's going to read the left side of the field, he's going to slide the protection to the right um, so that he can protect his backside. Because if he, he even if he's right-handed, if he's reading the left side of the field, he can't see a potential corner cap or he can't see a potential, uh, you know, fire zone with the outside linebacker walking up to, you know, walking C gap. He can't see that, you know, uh, once the ball has been snapped. He can't see that. So we want to slide it. We want our big guys to block the big guys, and we want to slide the protection to the quarterback's backside. Now, if we're hot, which means we're releasing guys in in routes, we you know we don't let's say we don't have a running back in protection. That now that's really more and the important thing is to slide it to the quarterback's blind side, right? Don't allow it to don't allow yourself to slide it to where you're reading, because if you do that and we don't have a running back or tight end to protect we get hit and we're not looking. Those are the hits that causes injuries, the ones that you don't see. So, um, you know, it, it depends on the system. You know, I've, I've always been of the fact to make it a, as simple as you can for the players and put the onus on the coordinator to make that thing work. Now, obviously, as you get the SEC football, college football, the NFL ball, you can put a lot more on them because they have a lot more time. They're a lot more experienced. They're a lot more developmentally to be able to handle that stuff. But, uh, you know, I remember messing up some calls against Missouri back in 2013, and it and it affected my health. <laughs> affected my health, you know, because you get hit by guys coming full speed, and uh, you know, and they're not necessarily small, weak guys. These are some, you know, high level athletes. So I, I learned real quick to uh, be vocal and be uh, assertive and make the call, even though even if you're wrong, make sure everybody's on the same page. Because you got people's health at stake, so I always tell our guys: if we're wrong, we're all wrong. We can't have some guys right and some guys wrong. That's when it goes bad. You got to be everybody's on the same page, whether we're right or wrong. 
So at least if we're wrong and everybody's on the same page, running back still know I, I got to go away from the slide and, and protect if we get one coming weak side. Now, if we get two, then, you know, quarterback's got to be hot. It means he got to get the ball out because we got five linemen. We slide left, right? Tackle's big on the end. Guard is big on – if you got three tech back side. So that's two on two. If we get one backer, that's a running back. We get two guys. Running back can't block two guys. So quarterback got to get the ball out. So, um, you know, you're, you're hot in that situation. So, you know, it's just it, – it's a lot that goes into it. I remember learning it when I was with uh, Randy Sanders my freshman year. Randy Sanders used to chew my ass a lot in those meetings, man. <laughs> he did. He was like, dude, you what got to – What are you doing, Jalen? He was like, man, you got – at high school – I come from a high school system to where it was all built in. I didn't have to do anything. So you get to college and, you know, it's a lot more at stake, obviously. But not even that. But it's just, you know, it. you have to grow up real quick and be assertive and make calls – even though you may be wrong, be loud and be wrong sometimes, right? You're going to be right once you start to learn it, but be loud and and, and and get it done, get the call in because, you know, if we got a center who can redirect or we got a running back who can redirect, some systems, they let the running back do it. They let the running back make the call, believe it or not. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's a lot that goes into it, but I don't really understand why um, Leary, you know, couldn't do it. I, I I don't know if I buy that. I don't know if I buy that at all. Uh, I just think maybe they just trusted, you know, Eli Cox more to do it for whatever reason. But you can't tell me that a 22, 23, however old he was, your old quarterback in the SEC, I absolutely can't make protection calls. I don't believe that whatsoever. The only thing that I can think of is where he came from a high-tempo spread offense. Right to then just go to a pro-style offense, that that takes a little bit of an adjustment. That's the only thing I could think of, but I agree with you. It's just, yeah. it, it's like, okay, that takes you two weeks to install, and then you should know. Yeah. I mean, we, we went from a pro-style to a spread uh, spread air raid from Randy Sanders to Neil Brown. Like, we should be able to be able to adapt that. No doubt. And it, and it was, trust me, when people say pro style and people say spread, you know, you people listening out there, it, it, there's a, there's a huge difference when it comes to the learning curve. Uh, so, you know, but yeah, I, I'm sure, I'm sure that played a factor, I'm, but I'm also sure that, uh, you know, he got, he may have got to the point where he was in the season and he, he, he understood it, but maybe they were already used to having a center call it. So they just kept it that way. Uh, you know, so it could have been that, but, I'm sure he's he's bright enough to 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 understand it though. Mm-hmm. Got a couple more comments. I'll pop them up in a second. But flipping back to Kentucky too, we you know we talked about Alabama and Nick Saban and, and rightfully so. Uh, but Kentucky gets a transfer from Alabama, Christian Story, a safety, 6'11", 211 from Lynette, Alabama, Lynette High School is transferring to Kentucky. That happened today as well. So. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's that's big, man. <laughs> I saw Shadur Sanders posted uh, Alabama players tap in once Nick Saban uh, announced that he was retired. You know, everybody's everybody everybody's about to try to you know take. I heard they got thirty guys in the transfer report. I don't know how true that is, but uh, but yeah, man. I mean, for Kentucky to get a guy like that, I mean, Alabama's only getting the best of the best guys. So when Kentucky get a guy from Alabama, he's probably pretty good. You know, now whether he got on the field at Alabama is different because. They're all four and five stars, 
just about. So it's, it's good to get a guy. And to be honest with you, it's kind of like everything. Like if you were to go recruit, you want to go recruit the kids from the best high schools because you know they're used to winning. They have a certain standard of excellence. When you get guys in the transfer portal, if you, have, if you can, you want to get guys from Georgia, Alabama, Texas, um, who else? Maybe like a Florida State or maybe Ohio State. You want those type of guys, you know, because you know that they have a they come from a program that has a certain level of excellence, a certain expectation, a certain, you know, uh, system when it comes to developing young men. So, you know, you're getting a quality player and most likely you're probably getting a quality young man as well uh, that come from those programs. And now it's just plug and play. Now it's up to the coordinators and the coaches on how quick can we get this guy acclimated to our system? How quickly can we get this guy knowing what we're doing schematically so we can allow him to play fast and use that four-star talent or five-star talent that he's he was recruited as? So uh, that's a big that's a big get, especially with Geiger leaving. Uh, you know, you get a guy like that from Alabama who has a little experience, really good special teams player as well. Uh, that shows that he's an effort guy. He's a team guy. Uh, so you can't you can't knock that. That's good. Absolutely. And John is saying I don't know saying Dan Lang and Eric Bieniemy have been cocktailed by Alabama. So, um, I heard I Lanning. Can, yeah, I can see Lanning. Mm-hmm. And I, go ahead, Max. I've got a feeling Dan Lanning's good. Dan Lanning, I. I would say your your top three would be Sark, Lanning, and then honestly, I don't know why I'm thinking it. I don't know why, but I'm thinking like Kiffin, dude. No. I'm really, I'm really thinking Kiffin. <laughs> I got I got laughed out of ESPN today um, <laughs> over that, but dude, I I'm telling you, to do what he's done at Ole Miss. And just control the transfer portal. Control it. I mean, and I think what you need, I think you need at Alabama, I legit believe you need the exact opposite of Lane Kiffin, uh, of Nick Saban. I think you need something completely fresh to take this program to the next, to uh, to the next level. Um, I've heard, I heard talks of Dabo, uh, Dabo Sweeney. Dude, Dabo ain't going mm. to Clemson. And then, two, da- Dabo's too cringe for Bama, dude. <laughs> He's too cringe for Bama. Yeah, he, I agree, man. You, he he, he, try, he tries to have that Lane Kiffin swag, and there's only one there's only one Lane train, man. I, mm. I, I just think that would be such a great pair, especially with the style offense they run. You're going to still retain a good amount of talent while recruiting. No doubt. But he's shown how much he can recruit, how much he can win the transfer portal with nowhere the amount of funds that Al- uh, Alabama can provide. And dude, and they went and they just straight up smacked Penn State in their in their um, New Year's Six game. Yeah. yeah. Um, and f- as far as Sark, though, I saw, I don't know if it was Dan Wilkins, somebody put out that he's – Winning at Texas carries weight. You had one good year at Texas, so I don't. I don't know if we're winning at Texas yet. Consistently, well, he's, had two, he's had two good years. 
two, so he, two really he was, good years. He was five and seven, eight and five, and now he went twelve and two or whatever. I'm, I'm like, is that if if you're Alabama, is that enough to say okay, let's bring him on here? You know, like you Kentucky basketball. If, if a guy like makes it to one Sweet Sixteen and wins twenty games a couple of times, is that enough to? Yeah, right. Well. I think I think though, and and this is and this is why this is monumental. This is monumental because you're now there's no hopes, no hope whatsoever that you're ever going to get Alabama back to the status of Nick Saban, Alabama. You're ne- it, that's never going to happen again. So you need to go ahead and and that's why I say get as far away from the Saban, the the the, the no, Saban mantra. Or try to go out and get great value brand uh, Nick Saban. You need to go out mm. and get a coach that has his own image, that has his his own philosophy, and yeah. doesn't try to go into this Bama built philosophy. Mm. No disrespect to Nick Saban, right. but you're or, never going to develop another uh, d- develop another Nick Saban or great value. I, I I hate to bring up a na- uh, a uh, a NASCAR example, but it's like it's like with uh, with Dale Earnhardt. When Dale Earnhardt passed away and was killed in the race in Daytona 500 in 2001, and you had to find a replacement, you had to find a replacement for the number uh, for the number three car. Who are you who are you going to get? Who are you going to get that was going to be able to be that that mentality that Dale Earnhardt had? No one, no one was going to come close to it. So they guess what? They got rid of the three. They went with uh, with uh, the 29, uh, 29 car and put Kevin Harvick in it, who yeah. was the exact opposite of Dale Earnhardt in every way, shape, or form. It, you just get to a point where you've got guys that are just beyond they're 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 beyond legend status. That is just like we can't copycat this. So we just need to go into a completely different direction. Man. No, I I, uh, I agree, man. I, that's a good point. You know. Because we know that that can't be attained again. So, um, like I said, don't don't try to. I, I I actually think that if the right person go in there with the right mentality, it won't be a lot of pressure, because they know that Saban's the greatest ever. That's you know that's like somebody coming behind LeBron, like or come behind Kobe. You know that you can never be Kobe, but when you have a different style, you can say, hey, that's the best. Whatever we've had here. It may not be the best Nick Saban because there's only one, but that's the best whatever. So I, I think they go after somebody who's an offensive guy to put butts in seats as well because you're not going to win national championships and conference championships as much as Nick Saban did. But worst-case scenario, if I'm an AD in high school, college, if I'm a GM, whatever, owner, I'm going to go out and put the, the most exciting brand of football to watch after I mm-hmm. get done with a guy like Bill Belichick. After Bill Belichick, Nick Saban leaves – Go find an offensive guy who's the exact opposite, who are gonna put butts in seats. If he wins, we won't obviously we want him to win. But if he wins championships on that level, that's just gravy on top. But go find somebody like a Lane Kiffin or like a uh, a, a, a DeBoer from Washington. Go by, go find somebody like a Sark. Go find somebody like a you know, I mean, a, a Ryan Day. Who's gonna? But you know, you know for a fact, Ryan Day is gonna recruit at a high level. You know for a fact, he's gonna bring a great brand of offense. Now we know 
at the end of the day, we like, you know, Ryan Day's lost like three games as a head coach now. Dude, yeah. he got he got punked by a dude that's got dementia though, in Lou Holtz. He can't beat Lou Holtz in a in a, in a Twitter beef. <laughs> hey, Let alone Michigan. He took the bait. Lou put the yeah. bait out there. He took the yeah. bait. Yeah, yeah. Put line of Put the bait out there. Lou has no yeah. idea that he did. Ryan Day out here picking fights with old people. But I, I just yeah, I, you're right about that. But and, he, and then he loses to Eli Drinkwitz, the dorkiest head coach in all of college football. He, he he was also in his third quarterback. But yeah, I get it. you know he, he I get it. You know, he, but you get what I'm saying though. Like go out and find yeah. somebody. Go out and find somebody different, and that's exciting, right? We know what Lane Kiffin brings to the world of college football. Just go look at his Twitter feed. Yeah. You know, so, so we know what he brings. Now the worst thing that Alabama can do is leadership, president, AD, boosters, they go and try to get a, a Nick Saban alike and hold him to the same standards. Mm-hmm. You don't need to tweet. You don't need to do this. Maybe you should do this because Nick did it. That's the worst thing they can do. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's the thing that coaches are afraid of more than the success of Nick Saban. They're afraid of the shadow of Nick Saban. What Nick, Nick did this. How about let's try this. You have to let whoever you bring in be who they are at their core. Because if you don't, you're going to continue to run coaches away. So whoever you go get, let them be who they are. Go get somebody who's proven. Uh, Kalen DeBoer at Washington is a proven winner no matter where he is, what level. Mm-hmm. Go get him and let him do his thing. Now, and don't say after one year, oh, we went, you know, we went eight and four. That is not working. It is working. He won eight games. Let him get his system in. And do his thing for a couple of years until he get that thing to where he can win nine games, he can win ten games, right? I don't know if we'll ever see the Bama that's going to go undefeated in the regular season again. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. They'll always have a great roster because of it's Bama, but that greatness can vary, you know. So you could be Georgia greatness, you could be Bama greatness, you can be Texas greatness, you can be a USC greatness roster, but or Ohio State. But you got to let that person be that person. Don't now, say, my old girlfriend, you should do this. So I should, you know, <laughs> no, that's how it goes, man. Let, you know, let that person be that guy. I agree. I agree with you 100%. Anyone that has been around in the coaching profession agrees with you 100%. But you also need to deal with Alabama fans. That's you, you get used to a certain way of life. No, and I get all it, of a sudden, you, you get used to a lifestyle. And that lifestyle is now nowhere is consistent. That's what I. That's what I'm afraid of. It, it's it. You're running into a very similar situation, more amplified, but a similar situation of what happened to Tubby Smith falling behind Rick Pitino. Hmm. A very similar situation. That yep. Tubby Smith's greatest crime was he wasn't Rick Pitino. Great coach. And winning has, has his name retired. Has his jersey name retired. Yeah. At Rupp. And winning a championship in his first year was the best and worst thing that could have ever happened. Exactly. Because it, it calmed down everybody that was saying you're not Rick Pitino. Oh, you won a title. But you also won a title and there's nowhere to go but down. Exactly. That. So it was it was the blessing and a curse of all blessings and curses for him. So that, that's going to be the big thing. Is the fan base able to adjust their expectations for the long run. Mm. We've had, uh, you know, talking to Alabama fans and, and they, 
tell their kids, look, it's it's the these are the rational Alabama fans, you know, that have had children born in this run, and this is all they know. You know, that Dick Saban has been the coach their whole life. It's not always like this. This is not <laughs> this is not normal because it's not, you know, and when when Cal first got here, four Final Fours in five years, hey, it's not always like that. Even for Kentucky, that's that's rare air. This is so you're right, Max. To for those that have accustomed to this, or this is all they know, and you know, you got the old school ones that remember uh, Dennis Francione and Mike Price and Shula and the struggles and and you know all that. But this other generation that's it's all they know. It's, it's going to be a, a a little awakening for some. It is. And, you know, I, I trust me. Like I said, my family is Bama fans, and I know that day is coming, whether it's this year, next year, or five years down the road, uh, where Bama or Auburn is probably on like a three-game win streak against Bama. And, man, and I, all hell going to break loose in the state of Alabama, man. Because <laughs> it's – hey, man. Yeah. So – uh you know, I, I think, you know, the good thing is the people who were alive and conscious enough to grasp what was going on the past 16, 17 years at Bama, uh, just know that nobody else, there's people who went their whole lives being UConn football fans. So, um, you know, you know, you got you to count your blessings, man. Yeah. Hey, also with Saban gone, Mark Stoops is now the most tenured coach in the SEC. Yeah. Which is that which is wild. Don't that make you feel old? That is though? wild. Don't that make you feel old, Max? Dude, I don't know why this year of all years, but this year has made me feel old, man. Like, really old. Yeah, that, that kind of made they, me feel old when I saw that. They, uh, because this was his 11th season, right? If I if my math's right. If, yep. Or this was his 10th season. 11th. Mm-hmm. 11th. Gosh, 11 years, dude. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, yeah. He, when he got there, his, that introductory press conference he had here, man. Dude, you know, I remember that more thing electric. Yeah. The big jumbotron with the uh, with the UK and UK healthcare behind it. The inside of Nutter, Nutter was all blacked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, 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 they did Stoops it up. Had all, Stoops had half of his hair uh, and then. He was slim, too. He was slim back then, too. Yeah, he was, he yeah. was a little porky then. It, it, it kind of mm-hmm. went in ebbs and flows. <laughs> Had the Starbucks in hand. Yeah, he he always had some type of cup in his hand. Oh, he's yeah. got that swirl going. <laughs> the big blue nation. <laughs> Real quick, before, before we wrap it up, man, gotta get y'all thoughts on the the national championship game. You know, Monday. For me, man, every every catch, contested catch, uh, Washington was making against Texas. It just, it was just off. They couldn't get it going, and you know, Jalen, we talked about it. We you had you shared your thoughts, and so we just just see what y'all guys thought about, you know. And for Washington to to get to halftime down seven, they had to be like, "Whew, okay, yeah. my God," and had chances to still make it a game. Just couldn't grab it, man. Start the second half, you got the rock in the first play. We get a pick. Oh. Uh, so y'all's thoughts, man. I get y'all's thoughts for you. You got it, Max. I mean, let let it be a lesson for kids for this that cheating pays off. <laughs> and it pays off very well. 
the if, Michigan Astros. And cheat. And if you get caught cheating, just keep cheating. <laughs> and it will pay off for you. I, man, I, 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 I said on Strebel's show, um, it was the last stretch of the season after all of the um, – after Harbaugh got fired or got suspended and they treated it like he was, like, dead, where they were they, – they had the Harbaugh shirts – at the head, the interim head coach is crying, saying, "We believe in you, coach. I love you, coach." I'm like, "Dude, he's not dead. Like he's up in the press box. Like he's fine." But it was like this whole mentality of like, "I can't believe this is happening to us." Like, you did it though. It, it'd be it just yes. completely it'd be completely different. But you did all of this. This was all self inflicted, and. At that point, I was like, I want them to win the national championship. I want him to only coach six, basically six games and win a national championship. And be like, we were the most oppressed team in the country. Like, I wanted that. And then it, I was, all of a sudden, it was starting to turn to reality. I was like, wait a second, this is actually, this is actually going to happen. And, but still, all that, just watching Michigan run a football, dude. Is like it's it's an offensive line's dream to dissect that film. Yeah, I can't wait to get it. And I, and I feel like that is like the dream offense that Stoops wants to run. Oh yeah, I, I genuinely oh. feel that way because it's the best of both worlds. It's 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 a little bit more tempo. You're still huddling, but you're playing you're 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 playing ground and pound football. And dude, the innovative ways that they got the uh, the six man involved as well it's masterful i mean it was it was unreal absolutely unreal i do want to ask jalen this jalen did you know who was the linebacker coach um for michigan the last three games of the year or the last four four games of the year who was it rick mentor is that is he related to the mentor that's the dc yes that's his son Wow, <laughs> I, I I always I I mean he looked nothing yeah. like him in my opinion, but I, I was always wondering like yeah, I wonder is he related to Rick Mentor? Oh yeah, he is. That's, <laughs> that's his son. That's his son. That's his son. And so, someone had um uh, we were talking. Someone had said it. it said yeah, and uh, Rick Mentor's going to be the interim linebacker coach for the one that was fired. And I just spit take. I spit my drink. I was like, "Wait, who?" Rick hey, Mentor. Vin, yeah, Vinny. If you knew Rick Mentor, man. Oh, dude. Hey, dude. <laughs> the talk behind the scenes, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, that offense. I've been studying that offense for three years now, about three years, and they do a lot of cool stuff. I love the, the gadgets and trick plays, the halfback passes, uh, the toss passes, you know, the the, the flea flickers. And they, they, I mean, they had like six or not, maybe not six. They had four trick plays dialed up against Bama. Um, and they were really aggressive and trying to run them. I think one thing Jim Harbaugh does is let his coaches coach, man, and let them. Yeah. They just seem so relaxed and they seem so connected as one. They love each other. They play for each other. They were like this. Uh, not saying Washington and Bama wasn't, but they, they were really one. And they played like that, man. And, um, you know, Washington got caught on the day where – Offensive line, I, I thought they would play a little bit better. 
I know Michigan's defensive line is is, is really elite, um, but I thought Washington would play better on the OL. I thought the quarterback would play a little bit better, uh, and I thought the receivers would make more plays for him, man. To be honest with you, they weren't getting open. They weren't creating separation. Uh, and, you know, the running back was injured. It, it was just like a perfect storm yeah. for Michigan to win based on how Washington played. They didn't play with that same tempo, that same energy on offense. Uh, and it showed, man. And, and, look, sometimes that's caused by good teams. You know, good teams cause you to look like that sometimes. When they have better players than you, especially up front, in the front seven, it's going to be uphill. You know, it's going to be uphill the whole, the whole night. You know, you may sometimes win those games, but it's going to be really, really hard to win those games because, you know, they were getting manhandled up front, man, and they were playing – you know, somewhat light boxes when Washington were open sets, you know, and handing the ball off with, you know, five offensive linemen, no tight end open sets. And Washington would, would have five on – or uh, Michigan would be five on five in the box and still stop the run for two yards or one yard. That's when me and my brother look at each other like, yeah, it's over. Yes. And then we, we – I remember seeing Washington was in cover one, which is man everywhere with a free safety. Uh, and they had – they were plus one in the box, and they couldn't stop the run. I was like, "Yeah, it's over. If you can't, if you can't stop, if you can't slow them down when you're outnumbering them in the box, it is over. You can hang it up. Football is a brute physical sport, and it's play in the box. The best players on the field are in that, you know, whatever, you know, seven by six, seven yards, eight yards by six, you know, box." Those are that's where the game is won, and Michigan obviously won that that box. So, uh, you know, we you know they had the chance to come back and make it a game, but they just weren't they just they just weren't the better team. I feel I feel if that those two teams played ten times, Michigan would probably win seven or eight of those mm-hmm. uh, at a neutral site. You know, so Michigan's the better team. The better team won. Uh, I don't think the best team won in that championship. I think Georgia. It's yeah. technically still the, be- the best team in the country, in my opinion. However, it's hard to say that when they lost to Bama. But, you know, they Bama caught them on the right day. Bama caught them on the right day, man, just like Michigan caught Bama on the right day, just like, you know, te- uh, Washington caught Texas, where Texas at one point was like under 50% passing. Uh, a Steve Sarkeesian offense was under 50% passing against a team that's not known for their defense. <laughs> caught them on the right day. You know, it's just how it goes sometimes. They're more prepared or whatever, so – Good game, you know, good year. Uh and it's kind of good to have somebody else win it for once too. Yeah. Well, I, it's the most it was the most viewed national championship game in four years. I find that extremely hard to believe. Cause I, I cause there there were times where I was and I love football. I watch football, but there was times where I was like, Man, we can turn this off. You know, it's just I didn't say they watched the whole game. And that and, and that that's the loophole, right? the most view for like two seconds, you know, and you know, that that's the loophole. Cause I, if you, if it's hard, I would be, it would be tough to believe they had the Clemson and Bama 2017 or 18 national championship game was nowhere near the viewership of this one. I find that very hard to believe. Very, very hard to believe. It's a lot of, it's a lot of SEC fatigue out there. And, and, but, had had the Big Ten done what the SEC had done, they would be, you know, popping off just like the SEC has, and we'd all be tired of the Big Ten. No other conferences done what the SEC has done. Right. But, you know, all the haters want to come in and whatever. The first year, 
in a decade without an SEC team in the national championship. You know, I flipped over to the SEC network, which they usually had a coaches panel on there. You know, you know, you got the regular broadcast, you got McAfee, you got whoever, and it was just a marathon of true south. I was like, man, this is this is weird. It's, it's, <laughs> the SEC network is just they're like we out on it this year because there's no reason for us to do anything, you no know, have any programming with this championship game since we're not represented. It was it was weird, man. Yes. If, I, if I was the SEC network, I would have been petty and play reruns of other national championships, like highlights. <laughs> have you, you, you all know the SEC shorts guys? Yeah. yeah. The guys that do the little, little comedy skits. Did you see the one that they did for the national championship game? No, I it's, it's the SEC attending – it's the SEC attending a watch party for the national championship – and like every other line is, yeah, I really don't know what to do here. I mean, does pretzel, chocolate covered pretzels go with buffalo, uh, buffalo dip? I don't know because you know I'm usually in the game, so you know I don't know how to really do this. And it is the fun. I mean, he goes, yeah, you know, this is probably gonna be like the worst viewed game. I mean, who wants to watch Michigan and Washington? Oh wait, it's the most watched national championship in four years. Okay, all right, I'm gonna go cry. I highly recommend it. The, it was at those guys put out bangers and that one yeah, was hilarious. I got I to watch it, man. I do. I got to get caught up for sure. Uh, the roll call and the shorts. I like both of them, man. Oh, roll call's good. Yeah. Well, man, Max, glad to have you on here. Uh, enjoyed it. Definitely got to do it again as we get closer to the season at different points in time to get you on here. And even though, you know, the season's over. We still have football, vice versa. When basketball's over, we get basketball gets on. So, man, just whenever you, uh, whenever you got time for us, when you ain't doing the big ESPN thing, man, we'd love to have you back, man. Dude, you you know where to find me. I, I usually don't. I usually don't say no. So, <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. Thank, uh, thanks for the time tonight, and it's great catching up, Jalen. You need to go to Goodfellas and check out the new distillery uh, district in Lexington. But we can talk one off. I can give you a mantra, a, a huge list of uh, recommendations. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, man. You know, a good a good five or six of them while I'm in town, and I'll you know check them out if I can, uh, and, and see if they if they uh, are mainstays in my in my roller decks of restaurants to go to. So, go, man. There you go. Appreciate you, man. Hey, thanks, guys. Have a great night. Hey, appreciate you, Max and Jay. Everybody check it out. Wherever you get your podcast, it'll be up on Spotify, it'll be on YouTube, uh, it'll be on Apple Podcasts, all those places. Uh, tell your friends about it. Feel free to put the comments in. Appreciate everybody that did comment. Thanks again to Max and Jalen. My name is Vinny Hardy. Aaron Gersh will be back next week as well. And we'll catch y'all next week on another episode of The League in Consent. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube